It's fascinating that you've described a, a journey that's taken 30 plus years. So had someone said to me or you 30 years ago, Steve, you'll be pastoring a church that has a CDC, or Lori, you will be the executive director of a CDC, I, I think the only issue would have been who would have started laughing first right. and who would have laughed the loudest. Welcome to Biblical Counseling in Action. This is a podcast that addresses questions like, how do these principles penetrate every facet of local church ministry? What does it look like when biblical counseling starts to impact the youth ministry, or our ladies' Bible studies, or our men's ministries, or the way leaders um, function together, or the way decisions are made in the church? That's what this podcast is all about. And we wanna explore what does biblical counseling look like when it actually hits the streets? Welcome to Biblical Counseling in Action. I'm Steve Viers. I serve as a senior pastor at Faith Church and Faith Biblical Counseling Ministries in Lafayette, Indiana. It's really a privilege today to speak with Mrs. Lori Walters, who's the Director of Faith Community Development Corporation, or Faith CDC. I've known Lori and her husband, Jeff, for over 30 years, and it really is amazing for me just to think about all the different ways that they have served in our church over the years. Our purpose today is to think about the relationship between biblical counseling principles and a church having a, a CDC. Lori, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. You know, I think it'd probably be good for many of us just to first have you tell us what is a CDC. We were talking before we went live that there were decades as a pastor. I didn't even know what a CDC was. So I would imagine that there's a number of people who are going to listen to this podcast who would be in the same situation that I was. And I think, Lori, you're probably the one who explained a CDC to me. And so if you could do that for our listeners as well, what is a community development corporation and why would a local church want to have one? Yeah, so the CDC, I'm sure, throws people off after coming out of the pandemic or still in the pandemic because we think of Center for Disease Control. But there is another terminology for the acronym, and that's a community development corporation, which you've referred to. And those typically are corporations that are nonprofits, and they work in a specific geographical area in a community, or it could be several counties together, but usually it's a specific geographic area. And they work in ways to strengthen and stabilize groups of people or neighborhoods. And they do that in various ways. Often it's with affordable housing. It can be with neighborhood residential development, and that can be done through programs and training. And then it's also looking for other quality of life issues and initiatives that would help stabilize the neighborhood. And then fourthly, also bringing in some economic development to a community so that people can work and thrive and make money there. So that's pretty much what a CDC does. Yeah, and we don't like the word corporation. When we talk about it a lot, we just call it face CDC. The reason it has to be called a community development corporation is because it is a separate legal entity. It's not hard for it to be established, but it's important when a church does that to have a separate corporation in order to keep everything financially separate. But I've never liked the term CDC or community development corporation because it's it sounds like you're getting involved in a business. It sounds like you're trying to make money. It sounds like you're trying to link yourself with the government in a way that's going to bring financial resources to yourself. And of course, that's the polar opposite of everything that we're doing. We're trying to be a blessing to our community in every way we possibly can. 
but I'm certainly glad for this particular instrument. Can, can you tell us why did faith get involved? There were so many different things we could do in ministry. So how did it even get on our radar screen, and why is faith involved in having a CDC? Yeah, well, that is an amazing story. We are really blessed with a very creative mayor, and he is very gracious to use anybody and everybody and all resources to help his community because he really loves our community. So faith was actually approached by the city of Lafayette under Mayor Rozworski to see about us starting a CDC because the city of Lafayette has access to a federal funding stream from HUD, that they were not allowed to spend themselves. So they needed a developer to actually use this money, and this money is for affordable housing. And because of faith's history in being able to develop large projects, such as our community centers, and because we had some wraparound services that would provide some of that stabilizing nature to help people thrive in the neighborhoods after the houses have been rehabilitated so that people could live there, they felt like faith could be that logical partner. And so they approached us to see if we'd be interested in starting a CDC. And because of the crazy leadership that we have that is very visionary, they said, sure, let's try it. So we started in 2013, and we have been plugging along since then. And so as we looked at starting a CDC, one of the first things we did was to look at an area in our community that was underserved by an evangelical church and also had a lot of neighborhoods that could be stabilized and had a lot of vulnerable people living there. And so that's how we chose the actual geographical area that we work in, because we don't just work in all of Lafayette. We work in some specific neighborhoods, so we can really hopefully make a difference there and have a, a major impact there instead of just, you know, kind of the shotgun approach. We really have kind of more of a laser approach in where we work here in Lafayette. You know, you mentioned our mayor, Mayor Rosworski, and just the thought of working in collaboration with the city government. We're a Baptist church by heritage, so we believe in the separation of church and state. And so even what you just said, I think, could give some people pause of, well, is it even possible to work with the government in any kind of community work? Is it possible to advance the gospel, to continue to hold on to your biblical convictions and collaborate with the city? Can that be done? Has it been your experience as you've worked with our city that they have in any way tried to tell us not to believe certain things or to change our beliefs in any way? Or have you found the relationship with our city to be a positive one and one that helps us accomplish our mission? Oh, definitely. It's positive. We've been very very supported by many people in the city. In fact, when we first started the CDC, I was even able to work alongside some of the people in their development group to help us figure out what we're doing and help us build capacity because I've never done this before. We haven't done it before, so we needed to figure out what we were doing, and they were very patient. They worked with me. Um, There has been some pushback in some areas. You just have to be honest, truthful, and loving, and gracious, and God works it out. There has been some pushback about us trying to force things onto people. But what we've been able to offer them is so, I think, compelling and sweet. And it really fills a need that I think it's kind of the proof's been in the pudding and we've kind of gotten over some of those hiccups. Well, you know, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Is it your view that by collaborating with the city, by accepting their offer to start a CDC, 
that that has allowed our church to further our mission? Oh, I think so. It definitely has from not so much a publicity thing, but just people understanding that we're really in here for the long term. We really care about people, and we're willing to to do whatever it takes to serve our community well. Yeah, what I'd like us to do then is to try to connect the dots between a church having a community development corporation on the one hand, and also a church having a biblical counseling center, believing in doctrines like the sufficiency of Scripture and biblical progressive sanctification. Can you help us understand the relationship between those two things, even in your family, in your heart, in your life? And so I think in order to do that, we have to back up. How did you become exposed to biblical counseling principles? Why were they so important to you and your family in the early days? And why did that then set a foundation when the CDC opportunity came along? It was, it was a natural extension of who you already were and what you already believed. Yeah, and that's, that's just a God story. You know, it's just so amazing. So uh, when Jeff and I were first married, we were moving to Lafayette permanently. We had been students at Purdue, but now we were officially, like, grown-ups, we thought, because we were married. <laughs> and so we needed to find a real church. We knew we were Baptists. In the old days, of course, there was no internet. We opened up the Yellow Pages and started going down through the Yellow the Pages. The Yellow Pages. What is that? I don't know. I may have to define that. And unfortunately, uh, faith was number two on the list. And so we just, on the second Sunday we were here, we went to faith because that was the second one. And we were just blown away by the practical teaching. It was something we had never really been exposed to, even though we had grown up our whole lives in a church. Just understanding that the Bible had real answers to how you live life, how you solved problems. And so we just found that really engaging. And so I think that's why the church became our home church very quickly. And then as time went on, because the counseling center is such part of our DNA of the church, it was just so much a part of us understanding how Christians grow and change, how you solve problems. Like, it wasn't a big deal when people went to counseling. Like, everybody went to counseling in our church. So, you know, they talk about there's a stigma about mental health, but not in a church that has counseling center as part of their DNA. It just it's part of the discipleship process. And so we just really found like it was really helpful and encouraging. And then as my husband moved into leadership roles as a deacon, we were offered the opportunity to audit the counseling training. So we would go in and just sit and listening to counseling sessions and being able to watch various counselors. We were just amazed by how the Holy Spirit worked through each individual counselor still providing God's truth and hope, and so we just thought, this is really cool. We became very big supporters of biblical counseling just because of the atmosphere and the culture in our church. We just really felt that exciting. And so then as time went on, God was working in my heart for, I guess, vulnerable people. He really was growing a heart for us in that. So we became foster parents for a while. Then I was a CASA, which is a court-appointed special advocate, and then I became a parent mentor for families who were in the DCS process. And so in that, in those worlds, I became acquainted with people who are just really struggling. And not that not all of us struggle, but they were always in, in a form of crisis. And so how could God provide answers for them and hope for them? And so I was really convinced that God's answers were the right answers for these people. And so that motivated me to be certified as well, so I could feel like I could have answers for them. Um, and so what has been really helpful for me then is as I've walked in this role as the CDC director, for me personally, is that I think it's given me much more boldness and confidence to be able to provide hope and answers for people 
who we're working with, because a lot of these people live in crisis in an underserved community and vulnerable people, their life, we would think, is crisis all the time. And so it's allowed me to understand how to show love to them and how to have answers for them. But it also has helped me personally to understand that I'm a dirty, rotten sinner too. And so I just sin in what I consider a more acceptable way in our middle-class society. And so it's helped me understand that, you know, I'm not coming in to save these people in the CDC, and I'm not there to be their great white savior, that I'm there to walk along with them as a fellow sinner. I just sin in different ways, and I have a lot more margin in my life. So when I sin, it's easier to cover it up or get by. But for them, their sin has also sometimes just devastated their life. And so how can we show them God's answers as we walk with them. So I've been able to be acquainted with these people, whereas if I had just stayed in our church, which typically is white middle class, I would never have been exposed to these people. And so I'm very grateful to be able to know people that I would have never been able to know before. So that's kind of the process of how counseling has helped me personally in the CDC. But then also because the community development corporations in the world and in our nation have a very secular approach. It's helped me understand that balance between, so, you know, there's a lot of like sociological science that would talk about how people in crisis need to be dealt with or understanding why people do what they do. And we would tend to disagree. A lot of the descriptions we would agree with, but the prescription, like how you solve the problem, we would diverge at that point. And so I think having the counseling background helped me be very clear about understanding that I may agree with what they're saying is seeing the problem, but I'm going to disagree on how we solve the problem. So being very well grounded in my worldview and understanding that, yes, there are structures and systems that make it harder for people, but they're still personally sinners and that God has answers for that person beyond the circumstances that they're in. You know, there were all sufferers and sinners. Both of those worlds can be true at the same time. And so I think that's helped me be very clear when I'm working with people, because you can get really sucked into the world's philosophy about why people struggle and their problems. And so it's really helped me, I think, be very clear in in our worldview as we've gone forward and working in these situations. Yeah, it's fascinating that you've described a, a journey that's taken 30 plus years. So had someone said to me or you 30 years ago, Steve, you'll be pastoring a church that has a CDC, or Lori, you will be the executive director of a CDC. I, I think the only issue would have been who would have started laughing first right. and who would have laughed the loudest, right? And neither of us had this on our radar screen all those years ago. But it's interesting that you said by being in a church that not only had a counseling center, but was trying to be a counseling center. I like the way that you said it, that, look, everybody was being counseled. Now, that doesn't mean we were going to a one-hour counseling session every week. For some of us, it meant we were being counseled by the sermons on Sunday, or we were being counseled by our adult Bible fellowship or our small group, or just interpersonal interactions with friends. There were just those principles of sufficiency of Scripture, biblical progressive sanctification. They were penetrating just church life. That's what it was mm -hmm. like. And so... That set you up, I think it set all of us up, I hope, for the notion that 
it's not just a few people who are really messed up going to counseling. We're all in need of change and growth. And I can remember my predecessor, Bill Good, someone who had a tremendous impact on you and Jeff's life, someone we love dearly. But he would often say there's only one perfect person in our church, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're all growing. We're all changing to try to become more and more like him. It seems to me, Lori, that that mentality has given you a spirit of compassion toward the people that you're working with now. Because I've had the privilege of watching you both work with government officials and be very, very patient, very, very kind, very submissive to them with all of the paperwork or whatever might go along with having a CDC. But what I've especially appreciated is the way that you interact with men and women that we're trying to serve. Men and women who are often in crisis, men and women who have pasts that are very sordid. And you have the ability to not be harsh with them, not be judgmental toward them. But on the other hand, not put them in a position where they're simply going to excuse their life on everyone else or believe that there's no hope for any change. So it's really been a balance, the same kind of balance that you've placed on yourself you're placing on others as far as showing great compassion, but also giving hope that they truly can change through the power of Christ. Is that true? I hope so. And I think when you work in counseling, that's where you have to land because, you know, only by the grace of God that our lives are where they are. And we need Jesus just as much as anybody else. And when we sit in that and we always remember that, then we can have compassion for other people. And I think vision of hope, having that in our church ministries has been really helpful too, because I think they've explained it so well. It's like the ladies are doing the best they can. They didn't wake up one day and decide to wreck their lives. This is what they think is going to fix it. So understanding women in trauma has also really helped me, I think, move forward with people that are living daily in trauma and they're doing the best they can. That doesn't mean that they're not sinners and that they have to make the right choices and obey God. But it really helped me be much more compassionate to understand that they're doing the best they can with what they understand, but we can help them move forward. We don't need to leave them there. I also think it's important that your story illustrates that you didn't start as an executive director of a CDC. It's not like you just woke up and boom, that's what you were. It was a process. And, and you mentioned that it started with biblical counseling principles impacting your heart and your family. But then as you, because you're a trained engineer, am I remembering that correctly? Correct, right. And you chose, you and your husband chose for you not to work outside the home, but instead to homeschool your children. I'm assuming that you had some opportunities to use biblical counseling principles there. On myself. <laughs> <laughs> and then you started developing or acting out on a heart of compassion toward people who were struggling but you mentioned that you served as a foster parent. You mentioned that you served as a CASA. Do you think that was an important part of the, the role to eventually become the CDC director? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It was just a part of God knitting my heart together and towards compassion for people who are really struggling. And um, I think we would yeah. also say that that's an example of Jesus Christ, just continuing to sanctify you, continuing to help you become more like Jesus Christ. And so it wasn't, boom, one day you're the CDC director, 
It was instead just helping become more and more like him in your compassion to people in smaller steps in the earlier days. And I think that's one of the lessons for everybody who's listening is instead of thinking about the big shot, the big deal, the big, I mean, the big position, start with whatever small steps you can take now and then just see where the Lord takes you. Absolutely. Yeah, I look, you know, I'm 58, I think. I have to do the math, 58 years old, and I look back at my life, and, you know, it's just like, you know, you see the stepping stones and the path making sense, but when you're on this side moving forward, it doesn't always make much sense, but it's just a matter of obedience, and, you know, God's going to call you, or you just do the next thing that needs to be done, and then eventually it all makes sense when you look back in your life as you see as you stepped out in obedience. And so just the little things, like, you know, I worked in the food pantry for a while. All of those things, because they needed it, I said yes, and you know there was some interest, but God just really worked in all of those steps to grow me to where He wanted me, me to be next. So, so how did you avoid? You know, you're a trained engineer. God's given you a good intellect. You're an organized person. How did you avoid looking at somebody else who maybe didn't have that level of education or wasn't that organized or whatever? How did you avoid being cynical toward them or judgmental toward them and instead be and move away from them? I don't want to be around people like that. Somehow you moved toward them. How did that happen? God, I mean, that's the only thing. I mean, he, he worked in my heart to show me that, like I said before, I'm just a more functional sinner, but I'm still just as much as a sinner. And, you know, the things that I sin are just as egregious to him as the way they sin. It just looks different. And I can function better in this world just because I have an education and I have more money. And I had, you know, stable parents. So there's a lot of things I do because of what I learned, not that I'm a better person. And so I need Jesus just as much as they do. So would you say in order to function well in your role, you have to be preaching the gospel to yourself each and every day? Absolutely. I think we need it in all roles, you know, parenting. (laughs) Marriage. (laughs) Absolutely. So help us think about how do biblical counseling principles impact the daily work that you're doing with uh, men and women in our community who might be struggling in some way? Well, it's one of those I I think I could always do better, you know, to push people more in a gospel manner. You know, sometimes I just get so bogged down into the practical survival mode for them, but I really need to work harder on that. But I think mostly for me, it's the hope that I can give them because life doesn't always have to look like that. And I'm not talking about from a monetary standpoint, you know, moving them from, you know, low income to middle class. That's the worst thing that needs to be my motive. But it's more that, you know, they can live with the creation mandate. You know, they're created to make a difference in this world or to have dominion. They're supposed to work. Those small steps can be a lot to help them understand what they were created to be. Those are the things that I think biblical counseling helps me understand, helps me understand that their truth needs to be the word, and that is what's going to provide them hope. And so I think all of those things, just understanding that, and if I can communicate that to people that I work with, that they have worth, are all things that the counseling has kind of just driven into how I would relate to people. So can you tell us some of the stats? Because some folks still might be saying, okay, now what exactly does the CDC accomplish? So can you tell us a little bit about 
the houses, about the community garden, maybe about that bar you led our church to buy. <laughs> Lori, remember that? Yeah. So tell us a little bit about what has the, by God's grace, what has the CDC accomplished during the years you've been leading it? Yeah, so that's another thing. Looking back, it seems bigger than when you're in the middle. You know, it you kind of get you get frustrated with how slow things go. Um, so we work with that federal funding stream that the city was wanting us to do, but by God's grace, we are able to do more. We've completed 12 houses for the city of Lafayette using that funding stream. And those are then 12 families that have lived in houses that have been restored and brought back to life. And they're lovely assets for the neighborhood. Even people have lived in them long enough that they've resold them and they've made a nice little profit on it, which is really exciting and moved on to the next thing in their life. So we're very happy about that. So that's one aspect. That's our affordable housing. Then we look for other ways to provide quality of life projects for these neighborhoods that we work in so that people want to live there. It's a place that they want to make home and raise their children. So some of those things have include, I call us like we're the patron of a community garden that's down in one of our neighborhoods. There's a lovely man and there's an organization that actually works in all of our community gardens throughout Lafayette, but he is a special elf, but we are his patrons. When things need to be fixed in the garden, like a new fence or a shed, we provide dollars or sometimes help find people to, to work on that with him. Then we also have worked on a little neighborhood center called the Hartford Hub, and that is where the bar once was. It was our first neighborhood we were working in, and the neighbors, the kids, literally played in the streets. There was no place for them to play because the neighborhood's kind of set off from the rest of the community by some busy streets. So the kids don't go anywhere, and they were playing in the streets. And then there was this abandoned bar in the neighborhood that caused a lot of issues for the neighbors. And so when we just asked, what does your neighborhood want from us? And so they wanted a place, a safe place for their kids to play and a place for the neighborhood to gather, and they wanted the bar gone. And so the city happened to own that property, and so we asked them to sell it to us for a dollar, and they did. And as you've said, we've overpaid it. But our church graciously donated money, some local corporations did, and we were able to build a lovely little neighborhood center and a little pocket park where that bar was in its parking lot. And today it provides a place for the kids to come hang out after school. It can be a crazy place, but it's provided amazing opportunities to build relationships in that neighborhood, which was what it was all about. It's the neighborhood center, not necessarily a community center that's necessarily program-driven, but it's more neighborhood-driven. So we hold the neighborhood association meeting there. People rent it out for birthday parties. And so we're really excited about what happens in that part of one of the neighborhoods and the community gardens just down the way. And then we've partnered with some kids from Purdue that are building a park for us down there. So it's just been, I don't know, it's very organic and it's very natural because we just have some long-term relationships with people and we can hopefully make their life better and keep pointing them to Jesus. So that's some of the stuff that we have done. We've also then, you know, worked at the North End Community Center that's been part of a Faith CDC initiative that's been exciting to see what uh, resource that could bring to the North End. And then we have some rentals where we work with the tenants. Those are the ones that I need to remember to be patient and gracious with and that balance of enabling them versus encouraging them. I don't know if a balance that I ever get right, but I keep praying because I know I need help and wisdom. And then we look for other ways to work with the city to bring quality of life opportunities to the neighborhoods. So we've done street light installation. We're working on a strategic plan for one of the neighborhoods. And then I'm always looking for other neighborhoods to build neighborhood associations so that they can grow and change and look for maybe other like-minded churches that can get involved in their neighborhoods. So that's the kind of work we do. It's not just housing, but the buildings are the easiest to explain. 
So you've mentioned several times working with other individuals or other community groups with other schools. So obviously it's not from your perspective, a church goes in and does it all by themselves. How important has it been from your perspective to try to build collaborations with other neighborhood groups? Oh, it's very important because one of the things is it can be very egotistical and hubris, I think, for a church just to come in and say, okay, here we are get ready to change. We know all the answers. You know, there's been people who've been working and loving these people and these neighborhoods forever. They've done a lot of good work and there's a lot we can learn from them. So sometimes it's a matter of coming alongside and just encouraging people what they're already doing, like the gardener, our little elf. You know, we come along and we're not going to do our own community garden. We're going to support the good work that's already been there for a long time. And then you can just get a lot more done because they already have the relationships, uh, they already have the credibility, and that's something that you don't have when you just come in. And so you really need to take the time to love the people who are already there loving the people and support their efforts whenever you can, whenever it makes sense. You also mentioned that um, you think it's important to get to know the neighbors relationally and then find out what they would like to see happen in their neighborhood and then work to help resource that. So it almost sounds like... You want us to be more in the back room resourcing and promoting those who live in the neighborhood who know it far better than we do and help accomplish the dreams that they have. Is that true? Exactly. That's the position we've always tried to take in neighborhoods because it's their neighborhood. And it's also about ownership. You know, if it's something that they really want and they feel important, they're going to champion it and they're going to protect it and be good stewards of it. It's also our job, like I said, you know, the creation mandate. You know, they're there uh, for a reason, and they can make a change. And a lot of it is just teaching them how that if they invest in their community, if they're contributors rather than consumers, then the neighborhoods are better. Do you think working in the North End, as the city of Lafayette asked us to do, has that enriched your life? Oh, definitely. You know, people I've gotten to meet, but mostly it's just see God working. Because there are these, none of my stories are easy. You know, they're not, oh, this happened and this happened. It's more a, well, this happened and then this person found out and then God used that person to do this. They, they're, they're long stories, but then you just see how God has orchestrated it and you can't, humanly speaking, it just could not have happened. So it's a, been a worship time for me. Yeah, so it's not a matter of, well, we had it all together, we knew everything and we went to an area of the town and we shared all of our great stuff. It's been much more give and take, we have been blessed and we have benefited from the men and women that we've been able to get to know and work alongside as much as we've been a blessing to them. Is that the way you see it? Oh, definitely. So let's say that there's a woman or a man listening to this uh, podcast and maybe they're the 25 or 30 year old version of you or maybe they're older, maybe they've already raised their kids and they've been thinking about these kinds of topics but weren't exactly sure where to go. What steps would you encourage someone to take in order to become more involved in community-based outreach ministry? Well, pray, you know, because your heart has to be right for sure, and it won't always be right, (laughs) so you have to continue to pray. I think just be involved. You know, there are so many good agencies in so many communities that even if it's not necessarily faith-based, they need you. You can work in your food pantries. You can be a foster parent. You can babysit for foster parents. There's all tiny little commitments that you can make along the way, and God will grow your heart towards the people that he wants you to serve. And so just get busy. 
I do a lot of reading, too. One of the best resources I had was World Magazine. They have something that's called Hope Awards, and so that's nonprofits that they give money toward that are working in a particular area. Sometimes it's to fight poverty. Sometimes it's pro-life. And so you're able to read what other people are doing throughout our country and sometimes throughout the world, and you can be inspired. And sometimes you can you know, go look for those kinds of ministries, and sometimes you can encourage your church leadership if there's a gap in the community, but you really need to know your community. You need to know what services are out there and how systems work in your community, and then you're better able to understand where you want to get involved and if there are then gaps that maybe you could pursue something new. So isn't it kind of like pulling the thread out of a sweater? I mean, you start with whatever is there and whatever opportunity is there, and then as you're faithful in, in little things, trying to treat others in a godly, gracious way. It's just amazing how then you're asked to do this, and you pull the thread a little more, and then you're asked to do this, and then you're asked to do this. But it's just it hasn't been part of a great strategic plan from our perspective. It's just been trying to be faithful wherever God called us, and then His plan becomes more obvious to us over time. Exactly. It's a matter of obedience. Yeah. So let's say that... Um, a pastor is listening to this podcast right now, and he's saying, I need a Lori Walters. How do I find a Lori Walters? What advice would you give a pastor who wants to get more involved in community-based outreach ministry and is just not sure what to do? Yeah, I think it's very similar to what I would say to the individual. You know, just, well, pray, and then get to know his community. You know, know who is already doing what. And there's nothing more discouraging to an agency to have been plugging along forever and then a church comes in and duplicates the services. Like, it's just a slap in the face. Like, we've been doing this forever. Where have you been? So I would look for ways to partner with agencies that you can. I mean, you know, some places you can't because of differences in doctrine or whatever. But a lot of the secular agencies, you're free to go in and serve them. Of course, you're not going to, you know, go in and, and preach a sermon. But that doesn't mean you can't build relationships and offer hope to people and individually make relationships. And and then you build trust and they would trust you then maybe if there's an aspect that you need to do that they can't do they might ask you to do it because that's exactly what that parent mentoring program was it was a secular agency it was a need that they had and they I mean they asked a church to start it so you know how cool was that yeah and I think you know it goes back to what I said at at an earlier point in the conversation that I don't think I would have thought that our church was going to have a CDC you wouldn't have thought that you were going to be leading a CDC But for me, when the opportunity came, it became a matter of looking around to find out, now who's already doing things in the community because God has been working in their heart in that particular way? And I think many churches probably have a man or a woman or a group of people who are just doing that organically already. And it becomes an easy ask then to encourage that person to become more formally involved in providing leadership to the church in that way. And Lori, I can't tell you on behalf of our church family how thankful we are for you and for your entire CDC team. It's a great, great story. It's one of the highlights of ministry for me, so I'm very thankful for you. I don't do this kind of podcast to sell resources, but I have written a book on this topic, Loving Your Community. It was published by Baker Books. And if that's a help to anybody who's listening, I would encourage you to find that resource. Or if you would like to receive more biblical counseling training, 
we would encourage you to jump on our website, faithlafayette.org conferences, and find out more about the various ways you can receive biblical counseling training. Praise the Lord that he has given us the light of the gospel. Praise the Lord that he's placed us in communities where there's tremendous need. And let's pray for one another that God would help us to be faithful to him as we shine the bright light of Jesus Christ. You can check out more about our ministry at faithlafayette.org or if you're interested in receiving biblical counseling training go to faithlafayette.org conferences you can find these presentations wherever you normally access your podcasts and you could really help us just to get the word out by telling your friends on social media that these presentations are going to be available our hope and our prayer is that this podcast honors the Lord and it's a blessing to you.